Money, money, money must be funny in a rich man's world. Money, money, money. I'm not going to sing it. Okay. Always funny in a rich man's world. Aha, aha. All the things I could do if I had a little money in a rich man's world. What's that? It's ABBA. Yeah, okay, 1976. Okay, I wasn't even born. Or maybe I was. Look, money, it seems, of all of life's resources, is the hardest to part with. Really, of all the things in life, the hardest to part with. It, it seems that when it comes to money, some of us are prepared to do the grossest acts to acquire it or keep it. It has that kind of influence over humans. In fact, Jesus said, money, or our affection towards it, towards it, can ultimately keep a person out of heaven. Did you know that? Our, our affections towards money can ultimately keep a person out of heaven. This is what he says, Matthew 19. Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. In fact, he said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, impossible, than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. So our subject isn't really our relationship to money this morning. I'll tell you that as a way of introduction. But we want to ask some questions. We began Philippians last time, uh, and we're asking these questions. How can I use my money? How am I supposed to use my money as a born-again Christian? Uh, what is Christian giving all about? What's behind it? What does it achieve? What does God think of it? How should I do it? How much should I give? We're going to get all the answers you were desperate to get last week that are coming today. Okay? So sit back. Okay, it's all coming. I'll try and get through as quickly as I can uh, without going too quickly. So it's the second part of our talk from last week. The secret to not being in financial need. That was our heading, part two. And our subheading being without need is found in sacrificially giving to the cause of Christ's gospel. The Bible, the text says that, and you're going to see that with me. So, look, the first thing, uh, this is a recap of last week. The first thing we noted was that we shouldn't think of giving as giving, but rather as, do you remember? Is that coming up? First one? Investing, investing, it'll come up on the screen for you, investing. We should think of it not as giving away money, but it's got to come up on the screen, but investing, okay, verse 15. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, I said that when I said that from Macedonia, is that going to be that okay? Could we have that text, please? So just the next, next, just go to the next slide. And the next one, please. Thank you. So it's, it's got to be investing. So this language here, no one shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving. We said, what kind of language did we say that was? It was business language, straight from ancient Greek commerce. So the Apostle Paul envisages Christian giving. It's not giving away money, but actually investing in a business enterprise in which we have a share in. We're investing into something that we're a part of. We're not giving it away. The second thing we said was that giving is effectively investing money into a 
heavenly. Yeah, more heavenly. Begins with a sir. Super. Okay, a heavenly super. Okay, this is what Paul writes. Thank you, Peter. Not that I'm looking for your gift. I'm looking for what may be credited to your account. Every believer has an account in heaven. And the apostle Paul is saying, whenever we transfer money from our account into his kingdom, the apostle Paul is saying, that's equivalent to or a portion of that. Something of that is therefore instantly reflected in heaven awaiting our entrance. Jesus said that. It's last week's sermon. Thirdly, we said giving is ultimately highest. You said it earlier. It's ultimately highest worship. Okay? Highest worship. Listen to Paul. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. Where's that language from? Where, where, where's that language taken from? Straight from the temple. This is, this is quintessentially worship language. That's what's happening in the temple. It's worship. Paul applies quintessential worship language to giving. Giving is a high form of direct worship to God. We want to worship God? Paul says, we do it. We've just been doing it. We were just worshipping God at the giving station. So that was last week. You can get the detail, the flesh, if you go online. Let's move on today. We're coming to the crunch. I want to move on to the application and just come to this heading. Our heading was, being without need is found in sacrificially giving to the cause of Christ's gospel. It's verse 19. And, and, so the and, okay, it's following on from the previous verses. It's effectively, therefore, so having given sacrificially, Paul is concluding this, now as a result of your giving, in direct correlation to your giving, listen to verse 19, and my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. The Philippians were doing worship in the, in the, in the greatest way possible. They were giving the, of their resources to Jesus, and Jesus in return was saying, thank you very much, goodbye. He wasn't, was he? He wasn't. Listen, as a consequence of which, God will meet all your needs. The language certainly is thinking materially, but it's much broader. He's mean he's going to meet their every need. So the point is, friends, can you see there's a direct correlation, a link, that God's, God's promise that I'll never be in need is not in a vacuum. That promise comes with a condition. Can you see the point? The condition was they were giving, and God in response promises to meet need. Which therefore means to some extent, if one part of the equation fails, what happens to the other part of the equation? Collapses with it. Okay? I'm expecting God to supply my need, but I never give to the kingdom. That promise is not for me. Because that promise is directly related to giving. Can you see the point? You can't, it's okay to have proof text, but whenever we have a proof text on our shelf, it must bring the text that is surrounded with this context. And the context here is their giving. So look, here's the reality. So the, the Philippians are giving. Let me ask you this question. Are they giving 
out of their wealth. I don't know what you know about the context. Well, we know Lydia would have been. What do we know about Lydia? She was a purple deal in purple cloth, a very expensive cloth. She was probably a very wealthy, astute businesswoman. But that's not the scenario of the rest of the Philippians. They were giving from abject poverty. They were giving from extreme poverty. Let me show you the language. So when Paul writes to the Corinthians, he tells them about the situation in Philippi when they were giving. Because we all imagine they were giving their little surplus cash. It's not like that. Listen to this, 2 Corinthians 8. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. That's Philippi. Okay? Out of their most severe trial, their overflowing joy, and their... Someone read, the, read, it, read it loudly for me, please. The extreme poverty, not just poverty, okay? Extreme poverty. Look, I think I've got a Greek there. There it is. I've, I've, I think, next slide, please. I did have it. It's gone. Uh, and the next slide, please. There it is. Look, extreme poverty. There's a Greek word, two Greek words, pathos, potoikia, okay? It means, what does it mean? It means rock bottom that the church of Philippi had hit rock bottom. They were struggling to put food on their tables, struggling to make their way, to make ends meet. They were absolutely rock bottom. But in that extreme poverty, when they're rock bottom, what were they doing? Giving. It's unbelievable, isn't it? That a group of people, and these are, uh, uh, how, how old is this church? How old were they when they started doing that? A baby. A baby. Baby. Yeah, he's 10 years old, but, but when they were doing that, Graham, it was within the first year. So they're doing that right as baby Christians. Though they're absolutely rock bottom, they're giving and giving and giving. And so Paul writes in verse 19, because you're doing this for the kingdom, don't you imagine... The God is just going to say thank you and walk away. Verse 19, and as a consequence of your giving out of extreme poverty, God will meet all your needs. Every daily need of the church of Philippi, God promises, because they put the kingdom over their own needs, promises to meet. Being without need is found in sacrificially giving to the cause of Christ's gospel. I heard this story recently. It was in a sermon. Nothing to do with this subject. Uh, and, and it goes something like this. There was a farmer, and uh, he comes rushing into his wife in all enthusiasm. And his wife says, what's the matter? What's the matter? What's happened? He goes, you know that cow that was pregnant? Our red cow? Well, he hasn't given us one calf. He's given us two a red one and a white one. And you know, what I've you know what I've been thinking about? I'm so excited and so thankful to the Lord. I've decided that we're going to give, when these are grown up, we're going to give one to the Lord. When they're both grown up, we'll sell one, use the money for our farm, and we're going to sell the other one and give it to the Lord. And the wife says, that's, that's great. That's fantastic. That's just how we please and worship the Lord. So which one are you going to give him? He goes, well, don't worry about which one yet. Okay, we'll just let them grow up, and when they get older, we'll give one, sell one for the Lord's possession. Anyway, a few months later, he comes into the kitchen, and his face is as 
as horse-like as you can imagine. And he's dropped down there, and his wife says, Darling, what's happened? What's up? And he goes, you won't believe this. The Lord's cow has died. <laughs> he goes, what? He goes, yeah, the, the red one. He goes, yeah, but I didn't know you'd chosen a red one for the Lord. He goes, yeah, 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 I'd already decided it was going to be the red one. I just didn't tell you. you. Can you see the point? You see, it's always the Lord's cow or calf that dies. This is what Martin Lloyd-Jones uh, a great British preacher, Welsh preacher, wrote, wrote, It is always a Lord's calf that dies. When money becomes difficult, the first thing we economize on is our contribution to God's work. It's always the first thing. I run into financial difficulty. It's always Jesus' portion that gets neglected. It's always because I'm, I'm looking after myself, aren't I? It's ultimately, it's ultimately because I don't really believe you'll look after me. It's unbelief, isn't it? I don't really believe that. Because if I really believed it, then it would be never Jesus' calf that died. It would always be mine. You see, friends, having financial difficulty, having financial deficits, and if you're normal, you have them. Okay, If you have financial deficits and you think that's abnormal, everyone else in my church has got lots of money, that's not true. It's normal, okay? If we're in financial deficit, if we reduce or stop giving to the gospel, we're denying the worship that God is due. You see, the answer to financial deficits as a first importance, as a first priority, says Paul to the infant church of Philippi, is to continue giving. It's to continue investing. It's to continue partnering partnering is to continue advancing the kingdom and in response God promises and here's the thing I don't want to make this too rigid but God doesn't promise my daily needs when I'm neglecting the kingdom even Matthew 6 the penny read for us the promise there you know there's a promise there and God you know don't worry about tomorrow you know God knows you need them that's got a condition attached to it what's the condition that's a good one but it's another condition thank you what's the condition in Matthew 6 Seek first the kingdom of heaven. If you're not seeking the kingdom, God doesn't promise to supply your needs. Seriously. We, we, we abuse scripture by drawing them out and keeping our favorite line and forgetting the small print. The small print of Matthew 6 is God has provided your needs as you put his kingdom first. Which means if I'm not investing in the gospel... I'm hardly putting the kingdom first, am I? I'm putting me first. And therefore, that promise when God says, don't worry, I'll take care of you, doesn't apply to me. Because I'm not seeking his kingdom first. Do you see the point? And the same in Philippi. The reason he promises them their needs met is because they're putting the kingdom first. Matthew 28. Look, we got it on our board there, haven't we? Go and make disciples of all nations. This is not rocky science. In order for that to happen, what do we need? Money. You can't deny the fundamental truth, friends. The only way this can happen, there's only one way that can happen. Every time a missionary goes out to Papua New Guinea, what does he have to have to buy a ticket, to pay his food, to buy a property, to buy resources? Money. We just can't get away from it. And rarely, I don't have any instance where God magically creates money. Whenever money is needed for the kingdom, it always comes from 
his people. Somebody has to dig deep. So, friends, okay, so we're to give even when we're in poverty. We may be sitting there thinking, hey, I don't have to give because I can just about make ends meet. Ends, ends meet. Paul is saying, regardless of the level of our poverty, even if it's extreme, giving as an act of worship should continue. Okay. But how much? You want, the, you want all the details, don't you? If I'm listening to a sermon, I'm like, just give me the bottom line, man. How much? We're getting there. Okay, we're getting there. Okay, how much, how sacrificial does he want me to be when I'm in need? What amount has he got in mind? Well, let's continue. Look, Philippians hasn't got all the answers for this, but Paul does give us the answers. So we're going to turn elsewhere in Paul to see what he says to other churches where there's more detail on amounts. And we're going to get there. Okay, so first of all, let's turn to 2 Corinthians. Remember, remember, they're the church that are benefiting from Philippi's giving. So let's turn to them. Let's see what he says to them. 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 to 7. It's on, it should be on the board for you. 2 Corinthians 9, whoever. There it is. Thank you. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. There's a principle embedded in that text. What is that principle? Yeah. That there's a symmetry, isn't there? There's a relationship between what goes in to the offering and what comes to me from the Lord. And Paul isn't just making this up. He got it directly from who? Directly. It's almost a verbatim quote. From who? Jesus. What did Jesus say in Luke 3? Give and it will be given to you. And listen to this. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Can you see the relationship? With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. There's a direct link between my generosity for the kingdom and God's generosity in my need. An absolute concrete link. Jesus preached it. Paul reiterated it, okay? I want you to imagine, look, I was talking to Graham earlier. Graham is, you know, a bit of a horticulturist. So he grows pumpkins. If you show the pumpkins, knock on his door, okay? We'll all be around there this afternoon, mate. Uh, I think there's a picture coming up. Uh, so look, uh, think about look, this from my limited knowledge and conversation with Graham. If, if you plant five pumpkin seeds, okay, you're likely to get how many pumpkins? 10, 15, okay? You're not going to get 250. Are you likely to get 250 pumpkins and five seeds? Now, if you want 250, you've got, you've got to plant, what, 25, 30 seeds? More. Can you see? Look, we know from simple horticultural mathematics, you know, that what you sow in the ground is, is what you reap from the ground in some relationship. It's not exactly direct, but there's a relationship of sorts, isn't there? And what the what gospel is saying to us, friends, the gospel is saying that horticultural principles, and it shouldn't surprise us, who invented horticulture? Jesus. Okay. Remember, Jesus is always the answer. He's always the answer. Any question, if you say Jesus, 99.99% of the time you're right, okay? Right, it's Jesus, okay? Uh, he invented horticulture, and he says to us, 
With the measure you use, it be measured to you. And Paul reiterates the same. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Look, I know this sounds like a televangelist. I've even, even got the jacket to suit it. I look like a real televangelist, don't you think? Okay? Even the tan. I get this from Barbados. Six, uh, six months I spent in Barbados. Okay? Right? Here's the thing. Look, I know it sounds televangelist, but be, just because those pumpkins are abusing the Bible, okay? It doesn't mean we have to throw out those texts. They're Bible texts they're abusing. We can't just ignore them. There's truth that we must glean from them. And, and in those Bible texts, Luke 6 and 2 Corinthians 9, we're told, friends, that, that, that we're to give and that our giving will reflect God's generosity to us. However, look, we're not to be mechanical. What do I mean by this? This isn't mechanical. What do I mean by that term? This is not mechanical. What are you thinking when you're thinking of mechanical? What? Pardon? Yeah, you put in 50, and bang, 50 drops out. Look, I've got this app. I haven't got my phone. Here's my phone. I've got a Commonwealth Bank app on my phone. I think I see a text. Right. And whenever someone puts a deposit in my account, like Maxine's going to put one in this afternoon. Thank you, Maxine. Okay, when someone puts a deposit in my account, she didn't know that, by the way. Uh, look, instantly, so Maxine puts $100 into my account, and instantly, within seconds, my phone pops up, ding. I get really excited when that happens. I'll put my phone out, phone out, right? And there it is. You receive a payment of 100 quid. Wrong country. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Ali, where did you get that from? Ali, Ali does my PowerPoints, you see. Yeah, look, uh, can we, can we just leave that on? Thank you. So I don't think we're meant to think of giving so crassly as that. You know, I put 100 in and there's 100 in my account. It's not that. Rather, there's a relationship, but non mechanical. Here's what a commentator writes Howard Marshall Men will receive from God according to the measure they themselves have employed. The quote, please. Men will receive from God the measure they themselves have employed. Okay? So, can you see, there is a relationship, but we're not to be mechanical with it. It's not, look, I've just given $500 or $50,000 or whatever, $5, whatever it may have been. I'm now waiting for $5 to come into my account. It's not quite that, that rigid, but a relationship exists. So, here's the point. How much should I give? Our first heading is this, generously, or be generous. It's going to come up on the screen, please. Be generous. Okay? Um, I think is a next one, please. There. Thank you. How much should I give? Be generous, Christian. Ask yourself. Montas, ask yourself. Is what I'm doing regularly in the regular giving of the church, could this be, if someone witnessed it, would they regard that as generous? Is what I'm doing Sunday after Sunday genuinely generous? Because if we don't sow generously, then in our need, there won't be generosity, says Jesus, returned to us. It's, it's like that. So the first point on how much we give, 
it's to be generous, okay? Secondly, giving is to be, the second point about giving is to be a, a private, joyful choice. You got that? Giving is to be a private, joyful choice. Look at the same same passage. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly, he moves on to verse 7. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give. So, can you go back please? Um, each man should give what he's decided in his heart to give. Okay? Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So can you see some principles coming out here? First of all, it's decided in the heart. So it's to be private. I didn't tell Lee, Lee, sign away 10K into that box. Well, I, did, I tried that, but he said, get lost. Okay, okay. It, it's something that he decided. Whatever Lee has done this morning, it's something that he personally decided. Uh, we're preaching on general giving, but I'm not giving you amounts. Okay, Lee has decided privately what he wants to give. It's a private decision in his heart. Okay, and it's not to be done reluctantly. You know, like, mm, <laughs> you know, mm. now we not reluctantly, but cheerfully. That's the point here. Something I decide, but done cheerfully with enthusiasm. I think it means don't do it begrudgingly. There's, there should be a form of a sort of euphoria. You know, hey, I've worshipped the Lord. I've worshipped God. What a privilege. I don't know if you realize this, friends. To worship God is a privilege. It's a privilege. I've Worship the Lord. I want you to take that away this morning from whatever you've given in the gift day. Forget the money. Just walk away and think, I've worshipped the Lord. What a privilege. What a joy that I've worshipped the Creator. You know what it's like with kids? Uh, you know, um, if you've got kids, you know about this. If you've had kids, you know about this. We have a picture, please. Is, is you, uh, you give them a present. What are they like when you give a kid a present? Look at them. Yeah! I mean, they're bubbling over in enthusiasm, aren't they? Yes, 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 yes. I wonder what it is. What is it that? What is it that? Is it that transformer? Okay? Now, uh, have you ever, when it's somebody's birthday, you can, they, they, they've got to give their friends a present, so you say to them, you know, can we go back to the pictures, please? Um, and you, you give to them, and you say, look, give this to Jack for his birthday. Those two pictures. Give this to Jack for his birthday. Okay? And, and, What's he like then? Next picture, please. What's he like then? <laughs> okay, so we buy a present for Jack because it's his birthday and we give it to our little kids. You're going to give that to Jack. And they go up to Jack and it's like, <laughs> we can be like that with giving to the Lord, can't we? Friends, look, the Bible says that's the attitude of the heart we should have. Not when we receive, but when we give. There's a verse next. It, said, I think it says it in the Bible, I think it's Paul. Uh, the next verse, please. When he says, it is better, it's Luke, okay, quoting Jesus. It is better or it's more blessed to give than to receive. It's more blessed to give than to receive. I know, look, 
I don't think I really believe that. But I should. I should. Yeah. That my, there must, should be greater joy when I'm giving to the kingdom than when I'm getting back. I don't think that's quite tuned correctly in my life. I don't know about you. But it needs to be. The thing about preaching the Bible, you know this, don't you? The thing about preaching the Bible is I'm not telling you how to live your life. Before I sat or stood in front of Lee, what was happening with that verse? When I was sitting at the computer all this week, I was feeling it, Graham. Feeling it. Seriously, feeling it. You know, boy, this has got to shape my giving. That it's more joyful that I give than when I receive. The second principle, private, joyful choice. The third principle is that it's to be an organized activity. It's to be an organized activity. What am I getting at there? Before I give you any clues, next verse, please. Um, before I give you any clues, uh, it's to be an organized activity. What am I talking about there? Yeah, organization speaks of consistency, planning, deliberate. Listen to this, 1 Corinthians 16, 2. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, okay? Saving it up so that when I come, no collections will be able to, will need to be made. Can you see what he's telling the, 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 the Corinthian church? He's coming by there soon. He wants to take a special collection to, for his mission to pass onto somebody else. And so he writes to them, he tells them to be organized. He tells them, look, set a sum of money aside. Okay, put it aside. Decide what it is. Put it in a place. Have it ready. It's to be deliberate. It's to be anticipating a collection. It's not to be ad hoc. It's to be organized, premeditated, thought through. It requires a lot of effort. That's his point. He said, look, guys, I want you to put a lot of effort, organizational effort, into giving. It's a bit like this, if I can explain it. Look, if you're jailed for first-degree murder, we'll have the picture. If you're jailed for first-degree murder, it means what? <laughs> it means what? If you're jailed, you're setting it up for first-degree murder, it means what? Guilty. Yeah, guilty. More than that, if it's first-degree murder, what does it mean? I mean, ask Troy. He would know. What does it mean, Troy? Okay. If you're jailed for first-degree murder, it means what? Now, what does it mean by your crime? Yeah, more than that. Now, you wouldn't get first degree. You can get different degrees of murder. If you get first degree murder, it means what? Yeah, it was premeditated. Okay? Okay, yeah, yeah. Otherwise, that's the first degree murder. It's the worst type because it wasn't accidental. Okay? It's premeditated. It means that you had thought about it. It means that you planned it. It means you organized it. It means you put things into place. It means you sought out the time. It means you went about it as an organized activity. That's what makes it first-degree murder. It means it's premeditated. It's organized crime. 
there was a situation once on Discovery Channel. I used to watch it back in the UK, and they used to have uh, these crime programs and how they catch murderers, uh, you know, just practicing, you know, how to catch murderers. And this one guy got caught. Not only was he caught, he was jailed for first-degree murder because of a shopping list they found in his pocket. Otherwise, it would have just been murder. That's, that's a make-believe one. But on this shopping list, he had something like this. Okay, cut the lawn, feed the cat, go shopping, go jobbing, uh, jogging, kill Jack, go to... No, it's no joke. Seriously. They found a note in his pocket with a shopping list with kill Jack on it. And because of that, I mean, it sounds, this is true. And because of that, he was done not just for manslaughter, but for first-degree murder. Because that shopping list proved what? He thought about it. He'd organized it. He'd even wrote it out next to buying cat food or wherever he was. Kill Jack. So if you're Jack, <laughs> be worried. Okay, so look. The point is this, organization speaks of premeditation, organization, setting things aside, planning, going out of our way, putting things into place, even means sometimes we end up doing what, what making what? A list. Send my, do the, sh my bank, my money comes in, top of the list, tithe your income. Then buy candy floss. Then book the flights to Honolulu or whatever. Okay? It means there's some organization behind it. Christian, let me tell you this. Nobody gives by accident. If we're serious about giving, 1 Corinthians 16, 2, we're to set aside a sum of money in keeping with income. income. If we're to be serious about giving, if we're just relying on accident, we'll never give. If we just think it's just going to happen by chance, it'll never happen. It requires, look, let me give you some practical help. It means when I get my income, whether it's bi-weekly, every fortnight, or whether it's every month, it means that I sit down and look at that income, and ever before I'm thinking of a single bill, a single expenditure, it means I look at that income. I, I take a percentage off that income. I put that into another account, or I withdraw it, or... I, I, I set the note saying that belongs to the Lord. That's the Lord's calf. And it's the red one. Okay, you decide what color it is, right? It means I set that aside. It means I make my transfer to the church or whatever it is we're giving straight away. It means I set up, here's a better way. It means I set up an FTOS direct debit or standing order, whatever you call them in this strange part of the world. Okay, and what that means is, is that I'm perfectly organized. Because once you set one of those up with a bank, what happens? Without fail, I'm never known it to fail. Your money comes in Tuesday morning, Tuesday afternoon, it disappears. You don't even know it's gone. That's brilliant organization. The best way to give is to set up an electronic transfer. But however you do it, what 1 Corinthians 16 is telling us, friends, it has to be organized. And the last one, the last one, and finally, giving is an activity we're called to. This will surprise you. Excel in. That's not Microsoft Excel. It's not telling you what spreadsheet to use. Okay? Microsoft Excel. It's not Microsoft Excel. <laughs> We're called to excel in it. 2 Corinthians 8, 7. Just as you excel in everything, 
says Paul to the Corinthians, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. So Paul, what is he doing with the Corinthians? He's taking a snapshot of their lives, isn't he? How well they're doing. They're excelling in all these areas of Christian ministry. And he says, great. But then he takes that principle of excelling in all those ministries. He says, okay, see how you've excelled in those ministries? I want you to, to, I want you to place the same approach into giving as you to those, mini, to, to those ministries. I guess in our churches, it would be like, look, uh, look, you may want to excel in preaching. I would like to. I might not be doing very well, but I'd like to excel in preaching. You may want to excel in doing music. You may want to do, excel in doing IT. You may want to excel in doing hosting. You may want to excel in doing the door duty. You may want to excel in cleaning the toilets. Maybe. Uh, okay. But, but the principle is, just as we seek to excel in what we're doing, we all naturally want to excel. If we run, we want to be faster. If we play something, we want to be better. The Paul is saying is, just as we want to excel in all these things, that same approach must come to giving. Boy, that's a biggie, isn't it? And look, and what he's obviously not saying is excelling in the art of giving. You know, it's not as, look, the Jews used to keep money in the folds of their garments and places. Well, Paul, when he says, I want you to excel in giving, he's not talking about excelling in how they do it. Like, I can do it by stealth. Or I can do two at, the, two at a time. Or I can give you five coins at one time. Or, or I can do it without no one knowing, without a single sound. You didn't hear that, did you? See, he's not talking about how they do it, okay? When he says, I want you to excel, who cares if you can do it in a blink of an eye? Now, his point is, isn't it? His point is, is how much they give. He wants them to excel in how much. Look, is a Greek, another Greek word here, perusuo, okay? I think it's there, just on the bottom, next, next text. It means, and the next one, please, thank you. It means to abound. To excel means to abound. It means that there'll be an abundance. There'll be lots and lots and lots. We went fishing with our kids recently um, on the York uh, Peninsula uh, when we were up there. Uh, we spent an hour there. There we are. They look really enthusiastic about it, don't they? Look, it was freezing cold. It was windy. And it was getting dark. Right, okay? Okay? So there they are. Like, do we have to... Okay, go back, please. Do we have to do this? Okay? Yes, you do have to do... Now, back to the first picture, please. Do we have to do this? Yes, you do. Okay. We caught how many fish? Hey, come on. What did you take me for? How many fish do you think I caught? Zero. Okay, look, look, you try fishing with two kids dancing up and down the pier, okay, thinking they're going to fall in at any moment, disturbing every other fisherman, constantly having to call them back and hold this, yes, for this long. It's pretty hard work, you know. Okay, we caught zero fish. The guy next to us caught three squid. Hey, but he had all the tackle, come on. Okay, he had a kid with him, right. But look, neither what I caught or what that guy next to me caught could, caught, could be described as Excelling? 
Actually, excelling. Next slide. Okay, you spend an hour on the pier, or you call them jetties, jetties, and you get that many fish. Now, that's excelling. Okay, that's excelling. When Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8, 7, see that you excel in the grace of giving, friends, he's not thinking of $20 in the offering on Sunday morning when we earn 50 times that much. If you earn $1,000 a week, okay, and we put $20 in the offering, unless my mathematics is awful, that's not excelling. That couldn't be described as excelling. You see, excelling speaks of pain. Okay, I was once, don't laugh, I was 16, I was once a bodybuilder. Seriously, I was going to be the next Arnold Schwarzenegger, and I was pumping iron every day, okay? You should have seen the biceps. Yay! Hey! Okay, look, there's a saying that every bodybuilder knows about bodybuilding. What's the saying? No pain, no, no pain, no gain. Seriously, I went through some pain without gain, okay? The thing about being thin, even if you bodybuild, you don't get bigger. <laughs> Seriously, so why bother? Okay, so look, point is, I think that's a motto for Christian giving. If it's not, if giving, if my giving is not hurting me, if it's not causing me any pain, the chances are I am not excelling. If my giving doesn't hurt, I'm not excelling. I can hardly be excelling, okay? The giving that Paul envisages and, and the Philippi church prove it is giving that hurts. Okay, we're going to get to some detail finally in the closing minutes. Exactly how much? What are you saying, Montes? What is the text saying? Give me some figures to work with, okay? Because up to now, it's a little hairy-fairy mumbo-jumbo, isn't it? Let me give you some, let me give you some detail, the real, some real flesh, okay? Is tithing excelling? Somebody answer that question. No. Thank you, Ben. How can tithing be excelling? Yeah, yeah, it's not excelling then, is it? No. If you ask somebody to do something and they do it, would you come back and say, you've excelled? No, that's not. Tithing is not excelling. That's, that's, that's a, look, it's a strong point. Tithing is not excelling. In fact, if you've listened to Galatians for the last nine weeks, tithing is no longer Valid. It's not legal. It's Old Testament. Because first of all, tithing is hardly excelling. Okay? I might, I might get to where you're going, but, tell, but go on. Oh, it's that. It's that. Let me come to that. Yeah, it, it, it should be joyful. Tithing, it can hardly be described as excelling. Okay? And number one, it's Old Testament anyway. What do I mean by that? Here's what I mean. Hardly any Old Testament law could be described as, as ex excelling. Like, do not murder? That's not excelling, is it? I mean, who's going to murder here? Okay? Hardly any Old Testament law was to do with excelling. Christ replaced all of the Old Testament law with his one excelling law. What was it? Love. Now, that's excelling. When someone hates your guts and you des they deserve to be killed, okay, and you love them, 
That's excelling. Can you see? It's not enough just to let him go. Okay, you can get off. It's you invite him to your house. You feed him. You clothe him. You shelter him. You give him a bed. That's excelling. You see, Old Testament law, what you have to understand about Old Testament law of giving, of tithing, it was merely a starting point. It was merely the beginning of giving. Old Testament law was never static. When the law of tithing came to the Old Covenant, it was never meant to be static. What do I mean by that? It was never an end in itself. All the, that law of tithing was meant to be dynamic. It was meant to point forwards. It was meant to teach them to start giving and to move on from giving. Hence what Jesus, when he's on earth, he notices one example of a lady giving. You know the story? Look, listen to it. Mark 12. Many rich people were giving their offerings into the temple. The rich people were giving large amounts. But verse 42, a poor widow came and put two very small copper coins in. Hardly anything. And Jesus turns around in verse 44 and he says, they all gave out of their wealth. They weren't excelling. Okay? But she, they were just doing law. But she, out of her poverty, put in how much? This is an incredible, true story. How much did she put in? Everything she had that day. This was a sum bank balance. In old covenant tithing days. Why didn't she just put a tithe in? Someone tell me, why didn't she just put a tithe in? No. Good point, good point. She understood that the law of tithing had a trajectory. What was his trajectory? She understood that tithing was the beginning of giving. It pointed to something greater. Jesus highlights this episode because he was demonstrating to his disciples that the law of tithing, like every other Old Testament law, is about to be fulfilled and been fulfilling it. It comes to its greater end. In other words, Christianity has moved on. It's beyond tithing. Do we understand that? Tithing is archaic. It's Old Testament. It's been fulfilled. New Testament giving, the widow shows, has moved beyond tithing. It's now not just 10%. It's actually everything. Hence, what did the New Testament church do when they got together to give Acts 4? Listen to this. When there was a needy person among them, from time to time, what did they do? They sold lands and tithed? No. No, they sold lands and put the whole thing before the Lord. It was overwhelming generosity. So in, so in practical terms, it's why Jesus says, sell your, we said last week, he said, sell your possessions and tithe. He didn't say sell your possessions and tithe. What did he say? Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Give it away, the whole lump sum. And so let me give you this in practical terms, friends. It means that practically... If I'm less than tithing, I haven't even met archaic Old Testament principles. Shame on me. If I'm less than tithing, I haven't even met an archaic, static form of giving, let alone New Testament giving. I haven't even done the Old Testament archaic stuff properly. Shame on me if my giving doesn't at least start with a tithe. You see, if we're now beyond tithing, that doesn't mean I do less than tithing. If I said to you, Lee, you're now beyond doing the ABCs, does that mean you now forget ABC? No, it means you build on ABC. The church, the New Testament, is beyond tithing, which means 
the least I do as an obligation, the very least I do with my income, if I want to be biblical, is tithe. It's Old Testament. The least. But to be a New Testament Christian, to be under the new covenant, it means I have to go beyond tithing. It means I have to now think 20% of my income. If I get $1,000 a week, that means $200 of my income set aside for Jesus. It may mean I have to think 30%. It certainly doesn't mean I think $20. Does it? Beyond tithing. There's an old there's a preacher in America, I won't mention his name. It's well known that he does what's called, I don't know why everybody knows, but they seem to know. He does reverse tithing. What's reverse tithing? He... He gives away 90% and keeps 10. Now, my time's up. Let me finish. Paul says, see to it that when it comes to giving, don't just try and do, oh, I've tithed. I'm done for the month. Paul says, excel in it. Excel in it. Start with the tithe and think about going beyond. And God promises us, when we do that, when we give and give and give, when it hurts, when he puts us short that week, when he means I'm now going to struggle to pay that essential bill, God promises you, Christian, he promises you, Christian, that you've now worshipped him. They are a fragrant offering, acceptable, pleasing to God. And as a consequence of that worship, verse 19, God promises you. It's a promise. Look at this. God will. Either he's a liar and don't believe anything he says to you or take these words of face value and God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Giving should be generous, a private joyful choice, like organized activity, something we excel in, it goes beyond tithing.